Good morning. Could Christ be praised, I have victory. Uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it again in Romans 8, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Moses records it this way in Deuteronomy 20. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. And Jesus is recorded as having said it this way in John. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we sing that lyric, understand that there is power behind that. God's word absolutely supports what it is that we are singing. Praised to Christ, I have victory. Well, my name is Dustin, and I'm an elder here at First Bowman. I'm not Dr. Moody. Uh, if you came to hear Dr. Moody this morning, I apologize. Uh, he is out uh, again, uh, tested uh, positive for COVID, and so uh, he's doing okay, uh, but uh, felt like we needed, he needed to respect uh, our space and, and be away for uh, another, another Sunday. And so um, this morning, we are not going to actually be in any of those verses that I just read. Uh, we're we're going to be in the book of uh, John. Uh, in chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 23. Uh, I know we were just standing. I hate to make you do it, but I'm going to ask you to stand up one more time as I read God's Word and y'all read along with me. John 17, verses 20 through 23. <clears throat> I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, ought, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. God, I'm beyond grateful for your word, the ability that we have to open it and see how your son Savior of this world has interacted with your people. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the words that we read, this prayer, this high priestly prayer that we read uh, this morning, that these words would be impactful and they would serve to unify your church as we battle all that may be before us. So, God, we love you and we give you all the glory and we pray all this in your son's mighty name. Amen. All right, yeah, be seated. So this morning, uh, the goal, uh, the goal, we're going to talk about some things that are, that are going on in the world uh, today. Uh, and in that, I'd like to apply broadly the scripture that we, we just read as, as in regards to our response to these, these things that are going on uh, in, in our world. Uh, but before I go too far, uh, I'd like to kind of set a reminder and uh, there is no doubt we are experiencing some things in this world uh, today that uh, most of us would probably say, wow, never thought, never thought I'd see that, right? You could probably rewind just five years and think, you know, compared to where we're at today, wow, never, never thought 
I see that. And certainly if you were to go back further in time and compare what we're experiencing today, you might say, wow, never thought we'd see that. Uh, But uh, I'm just going to to use this verse as a reminder uh, for us. Uh, Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 9, and he says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's hard to believe, right? There is nothing new under the sun. So, so the stuff that we're experiencing, same tricks, right? Just, just may look a, a little bit uh, different uh, than what it might used to have looked. So again, a reminder, according to the wisdom of uh, Solomon, the word of God, there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, my outline uh, this morning, uh, we're going to cover these, these four verses Uh, And we're going to talk about what Jesus says in in regards to his glory uh, given to us. We're going to talk about the love of the Father. And we're going to talk about the unity of the church and our responsibility to be unified uh, in this church as a church in order to fight the attacks that we are experiencing as a church today. Uh, Almost 20 years ago uh, today, so in September will be 20 years On September 11th, 2001, President George W. Bush sat in a classroom uh, with elementary aged kids uh, and they were reading a book. Uh, The name of the book, The Pet Goat. Irrelevant really to the story, but nonetheless. uh, As President Bush was uh, listening to these kids uh, read, uh, the door opened and in walked a man, a man by the name of Andy Card, who was at the time his chief of staff. Andy Card walked deliberately to the president, calmly uh, leaned in and whispered six words to the president's ear that no doubt would have had a tremendous impact on him. As a matter of fact, many of you might remember seeing that that event unfold, uh, right? Or or at least uh, the recordings of that event unfolding. There were plenty of cameras in the room at the time. Andy Card leaned down and whispered into the president's ear, Mr. President, we are under attack. And my, how that rings true for us even today as we experience all that the world has to throw at us. It feels like we are under attack. Uh, To illustrate that, I thought I'd kind of share a a, a story, a time in my life where uh, I felt uh, like I was under attack. Uh, Very recently, my my wife and and kids, my family and I took a vacation to uh, the Great Smoky Mountains. And... uh, If you've ever been to the Great Smoky Mountains, you know that when we talk about God's glory, uh, you see it written all over the Great Smoky Mountains. And what a majestic uh, place, uh, beautiful picture of God's glory uh, in those mountains. Uh, However, in in planning for that trip, you do a lot of reading, right, about where to go, what to do, things to see, all all of those things. But inevitably, as you're reading some of these things about what to do and where to go, Uh, you kind of see the dangers uh, that might exist or that do exist uh, in the Great Smoky Mountains. And uh, one of those dangers is a danger that we don't necessarily see around here all the time, that is bears. I am a husband of one wife, and I have uh, three daughters. So I am the protector of the family, right? And so uh, as uh, as we are approaching this vacation, I began to to just be aware and very concerned, uh, I would say, about the possibility of seeing bears. We rented a cabin in the woods, uh, so we were in, in the forest. We had a nice little stream running in uh, the backyard, so a perfect place for bears to gather, right, and attack us one day. 
uh, while we were not suspecting. Uh, nonetheless, anytime I walked out the door, my head was on a swivel. Uh, what I was going to do if I saw a bear, I don't know, uh, run and scream, I'm sure. But nonetheless, I, I was concerned about the bear. Um, so one morning I walked out, we were getting ready for the day's uh, hike. Uh, and uh, I, I needed to clean my shoes off from the previous day's hike. They were pretty muddy. Scan the area. I'm alone. I'm safe. I kneel down, and I start scrubbing uh, my shoes to clean them off. Uh, I, I was alone. So I thought I was alone. Uh, little did I know it, uh, my wife was planning uh, something that, that she would, would later think would be hilarious. I did not think it was hilarious. Uh, out of my right eye, I saw something flying by my head. Uh, and at the same time, I heard a very loud noise. And out of my left eye, out of the peripheral of my left eye, I saw something moving towards me. And all I could think at that point in time was, I'm going to have to sucker punch a bear and run for my life. I don't, I don't know what else to do. What I came to realize, though, is that my wife probably had been standing onto the side of that house waiting for this opportune moment. Uh, probably hours she had been standing over there waiting for this. And she had a half-filled water bottle. And as uh, I let my guard down and was unaware, she just tossed that water bottle. And it went right over my shoulder. And that's what I saw. And it hit the ground. And it made a very loud noise. And it, it was her. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think this is Freudian, but it was her that I thought was the bear coming at me. Uh, and so in that moment, I certainly felt like I was under attack. I was not. Uh, praise God, I was, I was not under attack. It was just my wife and a water bottle. Uh, but I didn't feel like that uh, at the time. So if we're under attack, what is our response? How do we respond to those uh, attacks that are levied uh, against us? Uh, and how do we fight from a position of victory? And I think in order to do that, we have to understand three things. We have to understand who we are, to whom we belong, and to what we've been called to do. Let's talk about God's glory. <clears throat> Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. This glory is a glorification through the accomplished work of Christ. Through Christ's finished work on the cross, we are able to share in his glorification. This defines us. To be glorified is to receive our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. You follow what I'm saying? We have been glorified through our adoption and our redemption. Paul says it this way in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're changed. In our redemption, in our salvation, we are changed. We are not the same. Upon believing in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, we become vessels of God's glory. And we are being transformed into that same image. Praise God, I'm not the same person that I was 20 years ago. Some of you knew me 20 years ago and can probably attest to that. And some of you may be able to say, praise God, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago or five years ago or two months ago. 
But Christ has done a work in us, and we have been adopted as sons. If we believe in the, in the fact that Christ was crucified, died, and buried, and rose again, then we have received adoptions as sons, and we have been redeemed. This is who we are. So what does that mean for us, for the church? We must look beyond the elements of our first birth. And so if we want to talk about unity, all throughout this, we're talking about unity. And again, the larger point of this morning is the unity of the church. We want to talk about the unity of the church. We must first look beyond our first birth. And we must build a foundation on our second birth. This is how we live our lives. What is our second birth? That redemptive act that took place in Christ's death on a cross. And the transformation of glory from Christ to us in that simple act. Not simple. This is who you are. This is the foundational truth of, the glor of glorifying God, of the glory of God. We have been adopted and we have been redeemed. So then what? So, so what is our response to that foundational truth? Well, why have we been created? What have we been called to? We've been glorified to glorify God. Been glorified to glorify God. And let, let me just say that this simple point alone causes so much disunity and distrust within the church. And we see it over and over again where this very elementary fundamental step gets overlooked. We do it on a daily basis. When God made the heavens and the earth, and he made Adam and Eve, and he gave them the responsibility to have dominion over the earth. And that responsibility was designed to reflect God's glory. They shared in that. This was not Adam and Eve's glory. This was God's glory. And their responsibility, their call, was to reflect that glory. But then Satan came along, and Satan tempted them, and he showed them they could have their own glory. They could be like God, and they fell for it. And when they fell, they took all of mankind with them, and it's a struggle that the church today struggles with. Who do we glorify? Are we glorifying man, or are we glorifying God? We have been glorified to glorify God, but we get that we get that out of whack. I, I, kind of the way that I think about it, I, I wrote out a, a formula, uh, and, and the way I think about it is, as we grow in the Lord, the glory within begins to grow and to reveal itself in what we say and do and the way we say and do it. People do not see us and glorify us. They see Christ and glorify him. The problem with that is that we, we tend to, to rearrange some of those words and add some things. And the formula ends up, the improper formula ends up sounding something like this. As we grow in ability, not as we grow in Christ, as we grow in ability, the glory within begins to grow and reveal itself in what we say and do and the way we say and do it. People do not see Christ and glorify him. They see our abilities and they glorify us. And there's minor nuances to the change of, of, those wor of the wording there. But the impact is monumental. And, and those minor changes and that shift in who is getting the glory 
ultimately impacts the unity of the church. We were created to glorify God. And when we get that out of whack, the church suffers. There is a, uh, a podcast out uh, right now. Um, it's put out by a group called Christianity Today. Uh, I'm not in any way endorsing uh, Christianity Today or the podcast, uh, but uh, the podcast is uh, detailing and chronicling uh, the collapse, more or less, the rise and fall of a church. Uh, the church's name was Mars Hill. Uh, Mars Hill was a mega church uh, in the Seattle area, uh, very, very uh, uh, dark and uh, uh, forgotten place, uh, seemingly. Um, but in that, uh, the pastor at the time, Mark Driscoll, uh, was able to grow that church uh, from around 1996 all the way to 2014 uh, to about 12,000 people on a Sunday morning. 12,000 people. In 2014, uh, late 2014, they closed their doors. And the church had gone through an intense, uh, lengthy investigation, and what they found was they found that there was a culture of bullying. There was a culture of intimidation. There was a culture of pridefulness and anger. Man had elevated man and forgotten to give God the glory for all that was being done. We were created and we were glorified to give God the glory. So, um, Back to the, the scripture reference, uh, John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. If, if you just slow that down for just a second, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. What do you hear? It's given. The glorification, our glorification, any glory that we have has been given. We didn't earn it. So why on earth would we boast in it? This should, within us, within the church, create a, 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 an intense amount of humility. This is a free gift. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And Ephesians 2.9 says, not by works so that no man can boast. Like, this is elementary at heart, but it's fundamental. It's a fundamental step that we overlook every day. Who are we glorifying? It's the unbelievable gift of the ever-gracious, almighty God that I have been glorified in my rebirth. And that glorification is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. So, who are you? To whom you belong? What have you been called? Let's talk about God's love. In verse 23, Jesus prays, I in them and you in me, that they become, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. You think back, it, you know, maybe, maybe it's hard for some of you to remember, uh, but maybe not. Uh, think about what, the first time you fell in love, the time you, you, you met your spouse and, and what that was like. Maybe the first time you shared those words with your spouse, I love you. 
the first time you saw your child and what that love felt like. Intoxicating, right? To, to be loved and to love, those are, those are good things. And again, what we've been created to do, what does it feel like to be rejected? That's pretty crummy, right? One of the things that most impresses the world is the way that Christians love each other. How do we do that? What does that look like in our lives? How are we doing at loving others? It's in this witness that our Lord wants in the world that the, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And what they see in us is what they will believe about God. If they see love and unity, they will believe God is love. If they see hatred and division, they will reject the message of the gospel. Are we displaying the love that has been graciously poured out on us? If we're going to talk about the unity of the church, we have to talk about the love that we are sharing with our neighbor. Or are we critical and judgmental? How does the world view the church in regards to our ability to love our neighbor? I, I want to share a story with you. Um, recently finished reading a book. Uh, it's been out for a while, so some of you may have read it. Uh, may have read it. Uh, the book is uh, The Insanity of God. Uh, it's written by a missionary by the name of Nick Ripkin. And Nick chronicles his uh, journeys, uh, his missionary journeys uh, across the world. Uh, this particular story that I'm going to share with you uh, happened in Somalia in the, in the 90s. Uh, and this was war-torn Somalia. Uh, resources were extremely uh, scarce at that time. And so Nick felt like one of the best ways uh, that he could be of use in that area uh, and showing love uh, to other brothers and sisters in the area uh, is, is to help uh, expedite humanitarian aid. The UN had started bringing in humanitarian aid, uh, and they needed help dispersing it. And so Nick set up a hub, and he hired locals. Most of these men were Muslims. <clears throat> and it, it wasn't that he was spending an inordinate amount of time witnessing uh, to them, but they saw it in his actions. They looked at how he loved and how he lived, and he worked with them closely. Well, one day, two of these Muslim men came running into uh, the hub, and they had a piece of paper in their hand. And that piece of paper was more or less <clears throat> a wanted poster. On that list, there were 150 names of Muslim men who a local terrorist group believed had defected or converted from their Muslim faith, from Islam, to Christianity. And the instruction was simple. You see them, you kill them. And of those 150 names that were listed on that piece of paper, the two men that had run in uh, to see Nick uh, were, were on that. Their names were on that list. <clears throat> and so they cried out to Nick, please help us. We are, we are not Christians. We have not converted. Uh, please help us. What is this guy going to do? He's a missionary from the United States of America. Is he supposed to go knock on the door of the terrorist leader and ask to please remove these names from your list? That's what he did. He didn't want to do it. But that's what he did. He found out where their headquarters or hideout or whatever you want to call it was, and he went. Knocked on the door, they let him in, 
explained to him what, was, what the problem was. They ushered him in to see uh, one of their leaders and simply explained, look, these, these men are Muslim. They have not converted uh, to Christianity. Now, what do you think the response of the terrorist leader would have been to a Christian missionary asking to remove names from that list? <clears throat> he said, okay. Sorry, we got that wrong. We'll take their names off the list. Now, for me, I, I, I probably would not have been able to get out of there fast enough at, at that point in time. I got my yes, I'm moving on. Nick uh, had uh, another question burning uh, that he wanted to ask. And so I guess he felt like, you know, what other time in life am I going to have audience with a terrorist leader? Uh, maybe I'll sit down and ask another question or two. Um, that, that certainly would not have been uh, my position. But Nick asked him, why, why kill the converts and not the missionaries that are doing the conversions? And in a very calculated, thought-out, evil, uh, cold response, he made it very clear to Nick. He told him, if I kill you, they'll send two more to replace you as a martyr. But if I kill those that you convert, they'll stop sending people, and you'll quit coming. And he was right. To that point in, in the story, there had been uh, about 60 to 70 missionaries in and around that region. But about three to four weeks prior, uh, they rounded up four Muslim converts and publicly executed them. And that number of 60 to 70 missionaries dropped to about four at the time this story had taken place. The point I'm trying to highlight in this story is the fact that Nick had a choice of whether to go or to stay. And he went and he put the needs of others in place of his own fear. And he showed these men a level of love that they'd never seen. God loves us. And he has poured out his love on us so that we would then show others what it means to be loved by God. And so many of us walk through this world with wounds caused by rejection and hatred and contempt and all other sorts of, of evil things that have happened to you in your life. But all the while, Christ is calling out, I love you. But we're holding on to those that have hated us. And that baggage is weighing us down and it prevents us from being unified as a church. We have been glorified for the redemptive act of Christ dying on a cross and raising from the dead. We are loved by God and those facts should absolutely unify us as a church to move forward and impact this world for the glory of God. Amen. I am a child of God because Christ's sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. He loves me enough that he would put his only son through this so that I could be made right. Again, this is our second birth. Are we focused on our lot and station in life? Or are we focused on the redemptive nature of what Christ accomplished on the cross? If we hang on to that baggage, if we hang on to those that have hated us, we're missing the point of God's love. 
We're missing what it's intended to do, the impact it's designed to have on your life and the lives of the others who are watching you. But we are loved to love others. Additional point I want you guys to, to, to take in and, and think about uh, is, is what is love to us, right? And so love is personal. Love is real, and so is your relationship with Christ. That's true for your relationship with Christ. So many of us just kind of walk through this life, and, and we're used to the routines and the rituals. Jesus illustrates this point in John 14. Uh, he tells, uh, or actually, the, the, it's a teachable moment for his disciples. Uh, Philip has come to him to ask a question, uh, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Almost three years Philip has spent with Jesus, walking side by side with Jesus. In his comment, just show us the Father is a great illustration and I think a picture of, uh, of us, right? I mean, Philip just been hanging around and probably had a lot of head knowledge about who Christ was at that point. But Christ is cr crying out to Philip and he's crying out to us. Do you not understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So is it possible, and this is the danger when we talk about love being a very personal and we talk about our relationship with Christ, we're not just called to this impersonal, uh, knowledge-based uh, thing with, with, with Christ. We are called into a personal relationship with the Lord and Savior of this universe. And so, is it possible to know things about somebody without knowing them personal and, personally? And, and this is the question that I'm asking you personally in your life do you know Jesus Christ personally I know some of you and I know things about you but a lot of you I don't know personally I know Michael Jordan I know a lot of things about Michael Jordan but I am assuming that if I knocked on his door for Thanksgiving dinner he would likely turn me away because I do not know Michael Jordan personally and so the question for us as a church when we talk about this unity is where do we stand in our relationship with Christ? Is it personal or do we just have a bunch of head knowledge? Back to verse 23. In them, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Where do we stand in our relationship with Christ? We have been glorified to glorify God. We have been redeemed and adopted, and we are loved. And these are elementary truths, but they are fundamental in our fight against the attacks of this world. Most of you know who C.S. Lewis is. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book 
screw tape letters. And I'm going to use an excerpt uh, from this book to illustrate uh, some level the attack that we are under as a church and the disunity that is created uh, within the church. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes this book, The Screwtape Letters, as a fictional story, uh, but I can't help but believe that there's got to be some truth to how uh, these things play out. Uh, the, if you don't know much about the book, uh, what, what you have, just to kind of set the scene, uh, C.S. Lewis is giving us kind of a behind-the-curtains look uh, at, at what, it's, uh, what, what Satan is doing and the demonic spiritual battle that, that uh, is occurring uh, on a daily basis. And uh, you have communication. We get to see communication between a mentor demon and a mentee uh, demon. And this mentee demon has just learned that the, the patient or human that he was assigned to has begun to go to church. And so he feels like his battle is being lost. But the mentor demon is, is writing uh, him to encourage him. Uh, and he says these things. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread throughout all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our bolder, boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with a rather oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither him or them, he or them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. Side note, uh, C.S. Lewis was not a big fan of, of the hymns of the day uh, that were being sung in the church. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on these neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that the next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must, therefore, somehow be ridiculous. So it's with this in mind that I want to show the importance of the church, embracing the glory of God and standing tall in the love of God for the sake of a unified church fighting from a position of victory, fighting from a position of victory, unified. And I would tell you we do it three ways here. The first way we do it is we gather. On Sunday mornings, we gather as Christ's church under one roof. The building is not the church. We are the church. So we gather in corporate worship. We worship in song and we worship in word. And we encourage one another, and we are encouraged so that we can walk out the doors and be the church, right? That's the first way we do it. The second way we do it is we filter it down in size. We, we come to our community groups. This is my plug for community groups. If you're not currently in a community group, I beg and plead with you, find a community group. This is our filtering down into smaller groups 
Uh, and, and this is an opportunity for families to do life on life together. Again, to worship in God's word and to strengthen and encourage one another. And then lastly, the third way we do it is we filter it down even smaller into what we call discipleship groups or D groups. This is discipleship. And this is our call and response to Christ's command in Matthew 28, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. These are the groups, the smallest groups, the most intimate of the groups, right? This is where the most accountability should occur and, and intense encouragement should occur. Large corporate worship, community groups, discipleship groups. This is how we at First Baptist Beaumont stand united in the face of the attacks that are being levied against Christ's church. We have to remain united. When we recognize the glory of God that has been given to us, when we recognize the love of God that has been poured out on us, we develop an understanding of who we are, to whom we belong, and for what purpose we have been created. And this truth serves to unify the church. There is always going to be plenty for us to degree on. The color of the walls, the sound of the music, uh, whether somebody said this right or that wrong. But the simple fact of the matter is those things are of second importance. First importance, the glory of God and the love of God graciously given to us. And that is not up for debate. And if we're going to talk about fighting a fight and fighting it unified and battling against the tax of this world, we have to be unified. And yes, it's elementary, but it is foundational. We have been adopted as sons and redeemed. And we are loved Last point, and we can go home. We'll go back to the scriptures. Uh, we skipped over verse 20, and I want to go back to it. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see what he's praying in verse 20? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We have believed because of their testimony. The church has always been under attack. What did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. The church has always been under attack. And until, as we studied in the book of Revelations, Christ's new church comes, it will always be under attack. But praise be to God that, that these saints were willing to stand tall and unified because their unity and their belief in these foundational truths allowed God's word to pass from generation to generation to generation and for Christ's church to grow and flourish in the face of persecution. Praise God for their steadfastness, for their courage in the face of persecution. And because we have the benefit of history, right, we can look, at back, look back and see how they were persecuted. And we know what they endured. 
We have been glorified in our adoption and our redemption. We have been loved to the extent that God gave his one and only son for you. And these truths have to serve to unite us. We are a holy priesthood set apart. We were not given a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and of love. Are we standing in that? Are we fighting from that position of victory? This is who you are. This is to whom you belong, and this is what you were called to do. It's in these truths that we glorify our Father. And it's in these truths that we fight. We were not given a spirit of fear and timidity. We were given a spirit of power and love. This is who you are. This is to whom you belong and for what you have been called. And if we as a church remain united as the world rains down attacks, Christ's church will grow. Christ's church will absolutely grow. I'm going to share one last story uh, with you. Uh, I'm a storyteller. I'm sorry. Um, I hadn't read very many books in my life, but the ones I have read, I think you ought to read too. Uh, we support, uh, have supported in the past a prison ministry uh, run by a man uh, by the name of Bill Glass. And uh, Bill Glass uh, jokes that it, if uh, he spent so much time in prisons sharing God's word that uh, if he were to rob a bank, he probably wouldn't have to serve any time because he's already served, he's been in prison enough. Uh, but he wrote this little book, uh, The Power of a Father's Blessing. Uh, if you are a father, even if you're a mother or a discipler, I highly recommend this book. It is simple, it's an easy read, but it is extremely impactful. And so he shares a story in it that I thought uh, was appropriate to end the morning. Uh, he tells a story about a, a uh, Bill Glass was a, a NFL a football player, played for the Cleveland Browns, and he, he shares a story about a, a fellow uh, football player by the name of Mike Singletary. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, Mike Singletary was an All-American from Baylor University. He later became a 10-time All-Pro with the Chicago Bears and one of the greatest linebackers of all times. He is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he shared this story about his son when he was a kid. Mike's son came to him upset over kids teasing him about his light skin color. They taunted are you black or white? So he asked his father, who am I, dad? Mike marched him into the bathroom and stood him in front of a full-length mirror. And Mike asked, what do you see? He answered, me. Mike continued, what else? He answered, I, I see you. Mike then explained while hugging him from the back, you see a brave and mighty warrior for God and your father is behind you all the way. The air was charged with emotion and tears ran freely. And for years, Mike heard his son often repeat, I am a brave and mighty warrior for God, and my father is behind me all the way. Do you need to hear that? You are a brave and mighty warrior for Christ, 
and your Father is behind you all the way. And these are the truths that will unite this church, Christ's church. These are the truths that will allow us to fight from a position of victory. Christ makes it very clear, I have come and I have overcome. Pray with me. God, to you be the glory. It's in us reflecting your glory that the world sees and knows that you sent the Savior of the world to save us. And his work is finished, God. That work is done. And so, Father, to you we give the glory. And we are humbled by the truth of these, these act, this act, God. We are humbled to know that you love us just as you have loved your son. God, I thank you for this time that we have had to worship in your word. And I pray for this church, God, that this church would be a church that stands on foundational truths, that is not bogged down by the mundane or the things of second importance, Father, but instead focuses on the things of first importance. So God, I pray for courage, I pray for strength, and I pray for unity for this church and for your church as a whole. And we pray all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right, I'll leave you this. We have two births. We were born into this world a certain way, at a certain station, a certain spot in life. And that's not by accident. That in of itself is purposeful. And you may be dissatisfied in holding on to, to the damage caused by that first birth. But the reality and the truth is that there is a second birth that occurs upon believing and knowing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And I plead with you, that your foundation, that the foundation of this church be founded on the truth that we are born again, that we have a new birth. And that new birth is God's glory passed to us. That new birth is God's love poured out on us. I'd be remiss if I didn't say, go be the church. Y'all have a great week.